If you don't mind, I'm going to read uh, a very popular passage. We're up to Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30 now. And I know you've heard this many, many times before. It's the passage of the rich young ruler. Um, and I told you last week that this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, it's part of the reason that we started Effects of Grace Ministries uh, in missions work, because this instructive um passage seems to be very much overlooked a lot in today's modern churches and in the way missions are done um, and so this is one of the verses that actually shaped and, and inspired me and a friend of mine to to see the need to, that we needed to fill in missions so um, I hope we can get through it and it makes sense and that you too uh, leave with an awe of Christ alright so reading in verse 16 And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, Thou shalt not, or you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was uh, one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will, be, will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall, you also shall sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of, of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit, inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, uh, so the transition here in verse 16, it seems like it's, uh, almost something completely different. And a lot of times whenever it's preached, um, it's hard to make a connection with the context. And if you remember for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been leading up to this. And Jesus has been in one conversation basically from the time that he was going into the temple and they asked him to pay taxes. And he, he, he demonstrated humility um, uh, and concern for those who might be offended at what he was doing. So all of that's been leading up to this. The way that this appears in here, remember Matthew, still inspired by God's Spirit, is recording this in one letter, in one gospel, and explaining this. So even though this rich young ruler seems to be a, a change, um, we'll see that it's actually a continuation of all the things that Jesus has been teaching uh, for the last couple of chapters. Um, and I kind of want to back up a little bit. You received two outlines um, this morning. Uh, and you've heard me say this before, and I had it on the board before. Um, God's word, it seems to recycle over and over again from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
Um, one of the things we do when we hire people uh, at work is we ask them to share the gospel. Um, and if I were to ask that today, uh, even if you know the gospel and you're a believer, you might be a little intimidated because you're like, oh, man, I hope I get this right because then they're going to call my salvation into question. So what do we do? And I've never been a, a huge fan of those uh, courses where you like memorize a script to present the gospel. Um, and my conviction comes from the way that the gospel is told over and over and over again in God's word. It's done in different ways. And one of the, things I like, one of the ways I like to think about it is, remember in, in the Bible when Paul says, uh, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the uh, Greek I become a Greek, to those without the law, without the law, as, all that. He's not saying that he's wearing a different hat and everything. What he's doing is he's assessing like Gracie was telling the story about her lost friend, her lost friend might assume that she's saved because she's done a lot of things and been in a church before. But Gracie's assessing her where she is in uh, her walk in this life. And like Paul, Paul is saying, I need to find out what you know about Jesus or what you know about God and his righteousness and what he requires of his creatures. And then I need to usher you from where you are whether you know there's a God who created or not. And I need to usher you all the way to Jesus Christ as the only way of peace between you and God, you and your maker. Okay? So that's what that means. And so when we read God's word, that's what it's doing over and over and over again. In this passage, I think it's the same thing. So when you're trying to usher someone from what knowledge they have of salvation to Christ... Uh, there's a recurring, there are recurring uh, uh, themes or ideas that come up, and those are uh, an awe of God, um, a man being dead in his sins, the lordship of Jesus Christ, and obedience. And so we think of all dead, Lord, obey. And so every time we meet with somebody, we're going to share the gospel. We think, what do they know, need to know about the awe of God? What, what do they need to know about them being dead in trespasses and sins? What do they need to know about uh, the lordship uh, of Jesus Christ? And what do they need to know about obedience? And so all those things in your gospel presentation uh, should be there. It doesn't have to necessarily be in that order, but oftentimes in Scripture it is in that order. And I think right here, and that's why I did the little diagram that I did for you, I think you can see that that's what Jesus is doing. Um, so first of all, the rich young ruler comes to him, and depending on what translation you have, I think uh, Luke and Mark presented a little different. He, he asks us about, excuse me, I think the, the, the ruler calls uh, Jesus a uh, good teacher or something like that. And your translation of this passage might say that. Um, either way, it doesn't uh, change the point of the passage. And so in this translation, I use New American Standard. He comes up and he says, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may attain, obtain eternal life? And so it's odd that apparently this, this young man values the things that Jesus has to, to offer. Um, he's maybe heard or seen him heal people. He's heard or seen him teach. And so he, there's some respect there and he, as he approaches him. But when he comes to Christ, um, Jesus' answer seems to indicate that he's not really valuing Christ as he deserves. 
In verse 17, Jesus says, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. So what is Jesus doing there when he responds there? He kind of arrests the rich young ruler's thought, right? The rich young ruler seems to be looking beyond Jesus or past Jesus and trying to get that good thing. He's lacking one more thing. And so he sees Jesus as a means to an end. Yes? It's not a bad thing to want eternal life. I mean, I think that's a good thing. But that's not the thing, right? And so it's interesting. And it's cool, too, that the disciples are listening. We know that. We'll see that in a minute. The disciples are watching and listening Jesus interact with this man. Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And so what is Jesus doing there? If someone were to say that to you, what would you think their point was? Okay. What about the first part? Why are you asking me about what is good? Like, maybe you should consider who I am. Like, you're not dwelling long enough on who I am. Why are you asking me about what is good? There is one who is good. And the passage in James rings in my mind from this too. You believe there is one God, the demons also believe and tremble. If you look at the context of what James is saying there, he's talking about the worth of Christ to be worshipped as God. And so that's the point. Jesus is basically saying, I read, I think it's a New American Commentary, and they said in this passage, Jesus doesn't speak about his, his divinity or his deity. I, respectfully, I disagree. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. He's presenting an awe of God, God in his perfection, God in his all-powerful, God is in his omniscience. And so now he's saying, you know, this rich young ruler who apparently is a Jew, who is aware of who God is and, and knows how he's worked in the past, uh, Jesus seems to be arresting what he's thinking about him. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And that's my point. Does that make sense? Is it like a, why are you coming to me? And he wanted him to reflect on why he thinks that I would have any value of what you're asking. Mm-hmm. And that's a good word to use too, the value. <laughs> <laughs> it's my first day. <laughs> yeah. And so well, think about what Jesus has taught his disciples from this point up to this point he's talked to them about valuing the kingdom of god and the way that you show that you value being placed in the kingdom of god you know except you be converted and become like this little child you won't even enter the kingdom of god much less worry about your rank it's better if you cut off your your hand to keep you from entering the kingdom it's better if you pluck out your eye why because the kingdom of god is something to be valued and so getting more specific christ himself is worth being valued more than anything else you could imagine more than you're exalting your rights over what your brother or sister might want more than all the possessions you have christ is worthy to be valued by uh, much more than all those things so yeah i think that's exactly what jesus is doing why are you asking me about what is good i need you to reflect on that i want you to think about why you're coming to me and asking me about something so holy and perfect and good that you're lacking that could give you eternal life. The one thing you say you're missing, why are you coming to me for that? I need you to think about that. 
So this is often read as a throwaway statement. I don't think it is. I think it's key to the whole conversation. So let's, with that in mind, let's read the rest of the interaction. And so Jesus goes on. It's like that he says that arresting statement. And then he goes on. But if you wish to enter into, into life, keep the commandments. Um, and then he said to him, then he said to him, which ones? And then he lists off some commandments. What's interesting here is Jesus had just spoken about this. Remember when we first started back in the Sermon on the Mount? He talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through Matthew 5, 48. Uh, Thou shalt not murder. Uh, if you uh, hate your brother without a cause, you've already committed murder. Adultery, if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It's like all these things that you cannot get away from because we're all guilty of problems, a heart problem. Whether it manifests on the outside or not, it's in here. We all suffer from that sin. Uh, we do not please God with all of all of our being. He talks about murder, adultery, stealing, false witness, honoring father and mother, love your neighbor. The rich young ruler's response to this is, I've kept all those from my youth up. Now, either he didn't hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, sure. or he still thought he was doing pretty, pretty well. In your gospel conversations, you'll have people like that. It's, a, right. it's relativism. Um... Okay, I'm not going to, I don't mean this to, to to disparage anyone, but when you when you get into asking questions like that, and I know there are some really famous evangelists that share the gospel like this, but they say questions like, they get sidetracked basically. Uh, how, many, how many times would you have to murder to be considered a murderer? Well, just once, okay. Uh, how many times would you have to steal to become a thief? Well, just once. And so they begin going down those roads and thinking about the symptoms of the, the root sin. And then they begin to get into relativism. Well, I'm not as bad as this person, and I guess I'm pretty good. Do you think you're, uh, you know, God is pleased with you? You think, or whatever. Whatever questions that are asked in a gospel presentation that lead to a, a mental comparison with another person or in general, my opinion is it's, it's not helpful. Because the gospel is not about how uh, how you measure up compared to other people and relativism. It's about the perfection of Jesus. Um, oftentimes in scripture, especially in the later letters, um, like Paul will write this, Peter will write this, we thank our God and Savior Jesus Christ, that phrase. Lately that's just been resonating in my mind because it sounds like it's like a, a castaway, a throw-off statement. But to think of Jesus as God and Savior, it means that God, if he is God, he is worthy of our worship and obedience. It means he is perfect um, and all those things. And, and we're not. And so Jesus is God. He's worthy. If we think about Jesus as our Savior, we have to remember that Jesus is necessary for us. It's not just a taste Jesus and, and take a little bit of Jesus and put him in your pocket. If he is God and Savior, it means he is worthy and necessary for us to be at peace with the one who created us. And so there's something about Jesus that is far beyond what the natural man can comprehend. And so when the rich young ruler responds here, he says, all these I've kept from my youth up, he doesn't see his need for a Savior. 
maybe Jesus is God and Savior. Jesus just said, why are you asking about what is good? There's one who is good, God. Uh, keep all these commandments. I have. I don't need a Savior. So his root problem, he just doesn't get it. Yet Jesus, in his kindness and in his purpose for being on there, he continues to teach. He continues to share the gospel. And so in that verse, you can see Jesus is showing him, one, you need to have an awe of God because there's one good. And by the way, I'm him, but we won't get there yet. And then two, you need to be at peace with God because you're, you're a sinner. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. So verse 20, he says, I've kept all these from my youth up. Okay. The young man asked him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. On this diagram I have, that as being Jesus as Lord. Why do you think that is? What is that in that passage? What do you think Jesus is conveying? Does he want him to just go sell us stuff? If we need to be poor and then that way we'll get into the kingdom of heaven? Is that the path? I wonder if this is a, to him, to him specifically, maybe that's what he needs to do, like he's, he struggles with that stuff. I don't know, maybe that's his hang-ups. <laughs> one of his weaknesses and then pulls yeah. out that because of things like that weakness, right, he needs Jesus and his qualities. Okay, so similar to what the passages were before, it's better if you pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. Like, basically, do whatever it takes so that you're not prohibited from entering the kingdom, from valuing the kingdom. Whatever's keeping you from being a, a, a kingdom member and desiring that above all things, get rid of it. Okay? What would Scarlet say? WWSS. <laughs> the, the word you used earlier. Value. Does, value, does evaluation have anything... Does valuation have anything to do with this passage too? So Jesus says he values that above anything else and he goes after it so that's able to open his eyes to see that he actually does have an issue. Yeah. I think so. Why are you asking me about what is good? You don't need me as a savior apparently because you're doing fine. How about God? How about me as Lord? There's one who is good. Why are you asking me? And so I think there is an evaluation. Uh, Jesus, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. That's what you want. Think about this guy's identity too. How, does, how do we know him from Luke? How do we know him just in general? If someone asks you, you ever heard of the rich young ruler? You know, he's, he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler. That, that's his identity. I mean, that's how we know him. We're not even there, a part of the society, and yet we know that dude. Oh, yeah, we know who that dude is. And what Jesus asked him to do, go and sell your possessions. If you sell your possessions and give to the poor, what happens? Well, he's not rich anymore. He'll still be young, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then what if he, and, and you come and follow me? So, Sell all your possessions, give to the poor. Well, there goes my richness. But I'm still a young ruler, so that's great. And come and follow me. He's not ruling. He's a follower. Jesus, you're asking me to give up everything about me. That's not cool. 
Jesus, I, I, I just don't think you're worth it. Because we see in Luke and we see here, when he heard this statement in verse 22, when the young man heard this statement, you notice how Mark, Matthew says, when the young man heard this mm -hmm. statement. The other stuff doesn't matter. He's not a ruler. And in, 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 in truth, he's not a ruler. God is ruler of all. All possessions are God's anyway. They're not the young man's. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He, didn't, he doesn't value Jesus as worthy of giving up anything about himself or what he has or any of that. But man, I really want eternal life. Man, if I could keep all this stuff and have eternal life, things are going to be great. Jesus said, if you look at the diagram, I want you to value me as Lord, God and Savior. And then we, uh, the, the call in, in a gospel presentation is obedience. Come and follow me. Demonstrate that you believe I am God and Savior. Demonstrate that by doing what I ask, by following. And when we give a gospel presentation to people, uh, how can they want to know, sirs, what must we do to be saved? Repent of your sins and believe on Jesus. Well, how can we show that, that internally we've done that? And we want people to know that we've done that. Can you guess what the first thing we ask them to do is? Be baptized. Dem demonstrate to the community and your closest friends and family. Look, I know I was running with you before. I was doing things against Christ. I was, I was, I was living in sin. I was my own God. But I want to tell you, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he has dominion and glory and power and honor. And I'm going to follow him. And I want to demonstrate that to you by being baptized in the likeness of his death and being raised in a new life. And the life that he's given me to demonstrate to you that I'm a new person. I'm not perfect, but I desperately need Jesus. And I think that he is worthy of my worship. And that's what we're asking him to do. And so he asked the young, rich young ruler, come and follow me. Rich young ruler does not demonstrate obedience because he has much property. <sighs> We're running out of time. Um, I th we're not going to be able to get through the rest of it. Ah. Okay, so next week. This is actually an okay place to stop. And um, Do you have any questions or comments about this? Does it make sense, the, the cycle of all dead, Lord, obey? If you go look at through all scriptures... You'll see that over and over and over again. Um, and I like to just pull them out and look at them. But just think about that in your back of your mind. And so whenever you're sharing the gospel with someone and you get stumped, what do I say next? A lot of times it helps to just keep your mouth shut and listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Because you can pick up and you'll hear things like they don't believe that God is creator. Uh, Paul talks about that in... Uh, Acts chapter 17, when he presents the gospel to the Gentiles, they're scrambling about trying to make God after their own image. No, God doesn't need you to make images of him. He's the one that gives life, breath, and all things to all people. He's the creator, not you. And so he goes back to the beginning of God being the creator. But with a Jew, Paul doesn't have to do that because, they, of course, they believe God created the heavens and the earth. So if you're quiet and listen to what they're saying, you can think about where they need to see that Jesus is God and Savior by cycling your mind through these things. They need to understand the awe of God. They need to understand that they're dead and trespassing sin. They need to understand that Jesus is God and Savior. And they need to demonstrate if they believe that Jesus is God and Savior by obedience. 
it's a, to me, it's a very helpful tool. It's a, it's a guideline that Scripture has, rather than feeling like you have to memorize something and say it exactly the way someone else said it. Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions or comments? <clears throat>